All right, Genesis chapter 43, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. What a great privilege it is to continue our journey, our study in the life of Joseph, one of the great patriarchs, one of the great men of God, men of faith, who went through so much trial and, and difficulty. You know, God really put him in the furnace, did he not? Put him in the furnace, burned away all of his dross and his foibles and his frailties, and, and God molded him. God shaped Joseph to be this mighty man of faith. In fact, you know, if I were to give a title for these series of messages that we've been preaching uh, on the life of Joseph, beginning in Genesis 37, we'll go through Genesis chapter 50, uh, I would give it this title, Joseph, a portrait of grace and forgiveness. That's what I would call him. Joseph is a portrait. He is the personification, really, of grace and of forgiveness. I'm going to talk to you today a little bit more about grace. Uh, last week, we looked at grace. Today, we're going to look at God's grace, God granting to us what we could never earn, what we could never deserve. God's great love lavished up upon us, just God overflowing us with his grace, with his forgiveness and his mercy. You know, God not giving us what we do deserve. God is God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. God is a God of holiness. God is a God of justice and he is a God of wrath. And he's also this awesome God of love and mercy as we see it displayed from Genesis to Revelation personified in some great men and women of the faith and especially this man, uh, Joseph. Talking about grace, Mark Twain great American writer had a way of putting things. He talked about grace as a means of favor. And I like that. He said, heaven goes by favor. If heaven went by merit, you wouldn't get in, but your dog would. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Mark Twain. So let's look at grace, grace, Genesis chapter 43. I want you to open your hearts today. Open your mind, allow the Holy Spirit of God just to draw you into the sacred text. He wrote this book. Uh, he inspired it. Now he illuminates our minds so that we're able to understand it. And, and listen to this, church, not just understand what we read today. And I, I, I mean this from the depths of my heart. I want us to have a cognitive moment with God. I want us to, as Jesus said, let's worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let, let's worship him with our minds. Uh, we, as Christians, we don't check our brains in at the door. Our faith is a very theological, theoretical faith. It is. It's a historical faith. It is a powerful faith rooted in history. But it's not just that. Our faith affects the very heart and the emotions and the personality of mankind. Jesus said, let us, let us worship the Father, not only in spirit, and, and the affective domain of who we are, that, that spirituality, that heart, soul, spirit aspect, but let us also worship him in truth. And church, church, when we get that, man, when we can combine the heart and the head, I'm telling you, we are a mighty force for the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, churches focus on the heart. And there's a lot of holy hootenanny, shouting, jumping, turning somersaults and all that sort of thing. And, 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 but where's the truth? And then there are the, the other side. I mean, the, the theologues, the erudite, you know, the, the arms crossed and looking down and studying. Yeah, okay. I, I, want, I want us to study, but I also want the Holy Spirit of God to apply it to our lives. Because here's where we're going with this. This is going to be very uncomfortable for some of you today. 
Because some of you would claim that you have experienced the grace of God, yet you still remain mean and unkind and unforgiving and full of wrath and full of justice and full of vengeance. And yet you would say in the same breath, but Jesus Christ has saved my soul. He's made me as sweet and driven as the snow. And I'm just a child of God. Listen, I wanted to do both. I want, I wanted to see the spirit of God come into you. And then I want to see him change you for the better. Is that okay? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Come on now, church. Come on now. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. So the Lord's going to speak to us today. I believe it through his word. I want to receive it and I want him to change me more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Okay. So here we are in Genesis chapter 43. What in the world is going on? Well, last week I left you. Did y'all notice I left you right in the middle of a story? Yes, I did. Right in the middle of a story, right toward the end of this chapter. Let me re, I'm going to recapitulate. Let me just summarize where we are in this story. Uh, Joseph was the 11th son born of Jacob, the patriarch. He had 10 brothers who despised him. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 37, 4, they hated Joseph and they could not speak peaceably to him. That is deep vitriol. That is, that is raw hatred. They hated him so much. They couldn't even speak nice to him and, and they sold him into slavery. True story. The Midianites came along, took Joseph out of the pit, took him to Egypt, put him on the slave market. Potiphar was the highest bidder, sold him to Potiphar. He was a slave now in Potiphar's house at about 17 years of age. And his brothers say, good riddance. We got rid of him. We'll tell our dad, Jacob, that some wild heinous beast devoured him and killed him. So they took his coat and they dipped it in blood of an animal and they took it to Jacob. They said, oh, Father Jacob, we're so sorry, but Joseph is no longer with us. He is deceased. He's dead. And we're so sorry about it. But, but, but that's not true. They literally betrayed their father. They denied their own flesh and blood. They sold him into slavery. Listen, guys, let's just be honest. They think he's dead. And for all rights and purposes, he should be dead because he is a Hebrew boy taken to a foreign land. They despise the Hebrew people and they have put him in slavery and surely they think he is dead, but far, far, far from being dead. God, in his sovereign grace, God, in his omnipotent will, he takes Joseph and he lifts him out of the pit and he lifts him out of prison and he exalts him all the way to the prime minister of Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh. And Joseph is a man of dreams. He has these dreams these prophecies where there's going to be seven years of plenty, and there were. And then he said there's going to be seven years of famine, and, it, and they were. And so during the seven years of plenty, he stored up the grain. He put it in the silos, and the people from all over the nations would come to Egypt because of Joseph's leadership, and they would purchase grain to live. So here come the ten brothers. They leave Canaan, and they come to Egypt, and they need food. Oh, my, my, my. Twenty years ago, the very man they sold into slavery now is basically the leader of the known world. Isn't that, isn't that an captivating, intriguing story? So now Joseph recognizes them. They do not recognize him. And he begins to test them. He begins to tell them, speak to them roughly in Egyptian as it's translated to them in Hebrew that, okay, here, I bet you guys are spies. That's what you are. You're a bunch of spies. And to prove to me that you're not spies, I'm going to keep this brother Simeon 
and I want you to go to your father. What'd you say his name was? What was it? Jacob. Okay. Go to Jacob and bring back to me this young lad that you call Benjamin. And unless my eyes rest upon him, then I know that you are spies and then all of you are going to be sold into captivity. None of you are going to be able to sell, buy grain and take it back to, to your land. So they go to Jacob, their father. And they say, dad, there's this harsh ruler in, in Egypt and he is kind of spooky, dad. He seems, to, he seems to know a lot about us, but anyhow, we got to take Benjamin back to Egypt with us. And so they did. They take Benjamin back to Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story. And that's where Joseph, first time in 20 plus years, he is, what was Benjamin, just a, just a little bitty baby or at least an adolescent boy years and years ago when Joseph laid eyes upon him. Now Benjamin is in his 20s. He's got the 11 brother, the nine brothers, and then you got Benjamin, then you got Simeon in jail, and then you have Joseph, and all these dynamics are about to come together. <laughs> this is cool. This is interesting. Okay, here we go. Verse 25. Then they made the present ready for Joseph. Now they have made a present full of nuts and delicacies of Canaan and they've wrapped it up and they've bringing their present back to Joseph now here. They don't know it's Joseph, but to the prime minister and, and they're ready for Joseph because he's coming at noon and they're going, they've heard that they're going to eat bread with Joseph in his house. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house. Watch this, church. And those brothers bowed down before him to the earth. You know, he dreamed that that would happen years ago. Joseph dreamed there's coming a day when my family will bow down. In fact, the whole earth is going to bow down to me. And sure enough, they do because he is in control of the granary, of the silos, of the food. And then he asked them about their well-being. And he said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed again, second, bowed their heads down. And they even, watch this church, not only did they bow, they, they even got down on their knees and they prostrated themselves. I mean, they are like, they're like bowing down to Joseph because they're very nervous. They, they don't know who this guy is. They just know he wields a lot of power. And it's within his power to incarcerate all of them and to do them great harm because he's already been testing them, already spoke, spoke roughly to them. And so they're, they're a little bit fearful. And then Joseph lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin. Look at this, his mother's son. The other 10 brothers are half brothers. Are you with me? Same dad, different mom, but not this guy. Benjamin's biological mother is Rachel. Benjamin's biological dad is Jacob. Joseph's biological mom is Rachel. Joseph's biological dad is Jacob. This is his blood brother. And he said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And Joseph said, God, Elohim, be Canaan to you, my son. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and he sought somewhere to weep. And he wept in, and, and he went into his chamber and there he wept. You know why, right? Because they don't recognize him. They think he's dead. 
but he's overcome with emotion. And instead of weeping in front of them, he goes to one of his hidden chambers and he weeps his eyes out, his heart out, so much so that he has to, he has to collect himself because all this flood of emotion, all this betrayal and all this hatred and all this jealousy and envy, he remembers all of that and, and yet he's looking at them and, and within his hand is the power to execute vengeance and justice and righteousness and he could have them executed for betraying him. He could. But he washes his face, he comes out and he restrains himself. Now what does that mean? Does he just take a deep breath and he is restraining himself in the sense that he's just composing himself or is he restraining himself as if, you sorry rascals, <laughs> y'all did me wrong. But he said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves, the brothers that is, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them. Now, Joseph is doing this. Now, in my study, I cannot figure out, is Joseph literally getting up from the table and walking over and serving those men? If so, then a portrait of grace and forgiveness is, is too shallow. I don't know what to call this guy because he is literally going and serving food to his brothers who tried to kill him. But Benjamin's serving <laughs> was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and they were merry with him. So what I want us to do today, I, today, I, I want us to walk through this narrative and as we just kind of weave in and out of the sacred text, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would teach you much today. He would give you much theology and you would learn, which is a wonderful thing. I guess that's the, the teacher in me. I, I love to teach the word of God. But more importantly, as we interact with sacred scripture, I'm praying today that the grace of God would overwhelm you. That those of you that are far from God, you think you're too dirty. You think you're just so sorry of a scoundrel that, that even God himself could not forgive you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God would bring you in so intimately, so closely with conviction that you would fall on your face before God. You would repent of your sins. You would cast your faith and trust upon him. And that is my prayer. And my second prayer is this. Oh, Father, I'm praying today, not only for the salvation of those who are far from you, but Lord, also the restoration of those. God, that they know you, but Lord, there's still hatred and there's still vengeance and there's still anger pent up within them. And God, I pray that you would remove that sting out of their lives today. God, I pray that you'd set them absolutely unequivocally. God, would you set them free in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit? God, you say in your word, that with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I'm trusting you, almighty God, Father, Son, Spirit, would you set people free this very day, God? Draw us into the story of Joseph, God. Let us learn from him and then let us leave this place changed individuals. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
All right, so as we're walking through the story today, the first thing I want you to notice is this somber moment. I've read it for you. I'm trying to recreate what is going on four or 5,000 years ago as this albatross of guilt is hanging on these brothers. And by the way, they, they can't get over it. They, they can't get over the fact that this calamity and this ill will is coming to them because of what they did 20 plus years ago to their brother. And I've shown you this in scripture. That's just how they think. That's how they feel. They feel that this omen or this, this bad news, all of these events are coming about because of their sin in the past. And so their albatross of guilt weighing heavily upon their souls. This man in charge, we have no idea who he is except he has lots of power and he can execute us or he can pardon us, but what will he do? Will he seize us and make us slaves? Will he reveal his true identity? Will Joseph do that? Will he rebuke his brothers for their backstabbing crime of betrayal? Will he remind them of his dream that he dreamt as a 17-year-old boy doing his father's bidding, doing his father's work? What will he do? What would you have done? The hammer of justice is within your hand. The verbal assault is between your teeth. And you have the power. And I want to tell you something, guys and gals. It's an explosive power. You can destroy. You can execute vengeance. You can remind. Hey, let me tell you something. You bunch of sinful, sorry scoundrels. I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold into slavery. Stewards and servants, come. We're going to execute these boys right here and right now. But glory to God, that is not what he did. And glory to God, that's not what he did to you and me because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took all the wrath of God, took all the justice of God, and bore it on himself. That's the gospel. That's the grace gospel of Jesus. Oh, let me get back here. Thank you. Rather calm down a fanatic than raise a corpse. Y'all know that. We've talked about that. Instead of crushing them with the heavy hammer of justice, he extends grace. Bert Friesen was his name. He was, a, he was an officer in the uh, army, the Battle of the Bulge, Germany, 1944. Bert Friesen was leading his comrades, Mike, who's leading them into battle. And they came upon this open expanse, and here at the Battle of the Bulge, there's an opening, and as they make their way into this opening, you guessed it, the Germans were hiding out in the peripheral in the trees, and they began to just pummel them with fire after fire, rapid fire after guns, and, and they're just going through the Americans, and it's just penetrating their bodies. And, and many of them are falling, and the others, they run for cover. But Bert, who's leading them, you know what happens to the guy that's leading, right? Well, he takes the bullets first, and two bullets pierce his legs. He drops to the ground. Bert Friesen is just a, he's just a guy. I mean, he's just a, he's just a guy that loves his country. Uh, he was at Wheaton College with Billy Graham and Ruth Graham. They were, they were buddies in school together. 
And now he's a young man fighting a, a war on foreign soil, and, and he's coming in and out of consciousness. He, he knows this is it. He's, he's about to go. He's about to die. And then he knows it's really it, because in one of those moments of consciousness, he looks at a German soldier with bayonet drawn walking right toward him. It's kind of like, Lord, I'm coming home. It's, <laughs> this is it. Bert Friesen's mom taught him a song when he was a little child. The song, I've never heard this song. But I know the title. It's called Jesus Whispers Peace, okay? And so he, he knows he's going to see Jesus, so he just starts singing this song. Now, to have the wherewithal to do this. By the way, I've researched this. I've, I've studied this. I've looked at multiple accounts on this. This is a true story. He is singing Jesus whispers peace, the bayonet is drawn, and the German soldier stops, and in German, he says, sing it again. And Bert Fries, I don't know if he knows German or not, but he just looks at him, and he, he, he thinks he understands, so he just starts singing it again, and that German soldier reaches down, puts his arms underneath that American soldier, he picks him up, and he walks him to the American line and he lays him down at the feet of the medics, and both sides are absolutely aghast. They are astounded. Nobody can shoot. Everybody is watching what is happening. As this soldier puts that man at the feet of the medics, and then he goes back to his camp. Grace. <laughs> Mercy. Extended. When we are guilty, those brothers are very guilty. The hammer of justice, of retribution and revenge is in our hands. What do we do? When the instrument of revenge is between our teeth or at our keyboard, what do we do? Do we give people a piece of our mind or do we give them a portion of our heart? He said, now, preacher, now you're going to meddling. Now you go back to Joseph. I don't, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Joseph. Joseph, Joseph, good story. Get the band up here. Let's sing again. I'm hungry. Let's go home. No, let's don't. Let's let the Spirit of God speak. Who among us is bitter today? Who among us is angry today? Who among us is having a hard time forgiving your spouse, your ex-spouse, your son who has sorely disappointed you and won't even speak to you, a mom or a dad, a pastor, maybe even this pastor. I learn almost every week I offend somebody. <laughs> I got that gift. I got the gift. And, and people get offended. Well, you said this or you didn't say that. Or why'd you look that way? Why'd you look this way? And, and, and you hold that in. And you're just like, I'm just angry. I just, I just, somebody just needs to pay. Why? He already paid it. He died. He arose. He wants to set you free, free from all of that. Set you free. He said, it, it just can't be. It's too good to be true. Joseph did it. He demonstrates for you and for me that through the grace of God, through the empowering grace of God, you can do this. This is, a, this is serious, guys. This is what I call a somber moment really the moment of truth. And secondly, I want you to look at the sincere emotion. There's a lot of just guttural, raw, pathos, emotion in verses 29 and 30. 
He lifts his eyes. There's Benjamin, full-blooded brother, intimacy, immediate intimacy. He sees his mother in his brother's eyes. He sees the facial features of his father, Jacob. There's a moment here. And what, what, what will he say? Well, here's what he says. He says, Elohim Canaan. He says, God be gracious to you. Listen, when you are squeezed, what comes out of your mouth is going to reveal what's truly in your heart. And the two things that are in the heart of Joseph that are on his lips are God and grace. Is that good? God, Elohim, be kanon to you. It's the Hebrew word meaning love and favor and mercy and kindness. And Joseph, he, he just extends that to him and to them. And then verse 30, the, the Hebrew there, it says his heart literally shriveled. No, no, serious. In verse 30, man, I'm gonna have to get glasses before it's all said and done, y'all. It happens when you turn 30, you know, like me, you just have to turn it. Plus 21. Now his heart, is it Kamar? I think it is Kamar. His heart, Kamar, it, it shriveled for his brother. Listen, guys, Joseph is overwhelmed by emotion. On the one hand, you've got these guilty guys that tried to kill him. On the other hand, you've got Benjamin, who's very innocent. He was not part of the ploy to try to destroy him. All these emotions are stirring. And then in verse 31, Joseph does something so powerful, he weeps. He just, it's just too much. It's just too much. He just weeps. You know, the Bible talks about people who weep. You said they're weak, right? No, that's not what I said. David, the greatest king of Israel. In the Old Testament, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 18, that he wept. I mean, a loud weeping. Oh, Absalom. Oh, Absalom. He wept huge crocodile tears. Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 35, you know, all of us can memorize scripture. Amen. Because that's the Jesus wept. You've memorized the whole verse. That's what it says. Jesus wept. Why? Because of Lazarus who had died. And then in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, and Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him. So the Bible talks about men of God, men of faith who weep, who show emotion, who show vulnerability, who show transparency. And I just want you to know, my friend, that is okay. That's okay by God. If the Son of God can show emotion and, and he can weep and, and, and be vulnerable and be transparent, so can we and so can Joseph and so can David. And so he, he, he comes back he, and he just weeps his heart out. You know, you know one of the, a lot of reasons why I enjoy reading uh, Chuck Swindoll is I just I appreciate, I just appreciate guys that are real. I appreciate guys who are transparent. Why, why pretend that you got it all together when heaven and hell and everybody knows you don't? Why, why pretend? We are the great pretenders in church. We, we got to put on the right face. We got to do the right thing. And, and everybody's got to look a certain way and act a certain way. And, and, and no, 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 no. Just being real before God, just being open before God, transparent and vulnerable. Like Swindoll, he, he tells the story, and it's, um, 
and I, and I, like, I like this story because it's, he, he's not afraid to admit that he was wrong. And by the way, that takes a lot of guts too, to say that you're wrong. Um, I'm wrong. So he gets a call and he's pastoring this church in California and it's the Dallas Theological Seminary saying, we want you to come and be our next president. And Chuck Swindoll's going, well, that's, uh, that's just kind of funny, actually. He said, uh, from a home we had lived in to a garage apartment, yeah. From California to Texas, what? I'd occupy until we could settle in a home almost 18 months later. I leave all of my friends. I've pastored for 20 plus years. I am comfortable. I am happily, uh, I'm happy, no thanks. I couldn't say so fast enough. In fact, I said, absolutely not. Thank you, but no thank you. So he said, so emphatic was I that I wrote a two-page letter spelling out in no uncertain terms all my reasons. It was an airtight, carefully crafted written defense, leaving no room for any question. Salty. We are just salty sometimes, aren't we? As I looked at the future, there really was no way I could even consider such a change, certainly not at my age or my stage in life. I mean, were those people crazy? My letter was mailed, and that was that. Only one problem, I was wrong. Everything within me wanted to cling to the familiar, to keep things simple and uncomplicated, to stay where I was, to finish well. I could see riding off, roaring with, on my bike in the sunset with a big smile with Cynthia, my wife, perched right behind me in the California sun. Life is good, but God had another arrangement. And the changes have been even more than I expected, but we are exactly where he wants us to be, doing exactly what he planned for us, accomplishing exactly what he had all, the, all along wanted us to accomplish. And, and he's just very real, he's just very open saying, I was happy and I was here and God put me here since he's written this book on Joseph. He has moved out of Dallas Theological Seminary and back to the pastorate. But listen to these words, what he says. There have been times in my own life when I've had doubts, when I've stumbled over great cracks that appeared in my world. I've had those times when I climbed into my own bed and I wept. Great Hills, listen, listen carefully. I wept and I cried to God just as many as you have. Such is life, especially when you decide to be real rather than protect some kind of I've got it all together image. It's comforting to realize we're in good company after all, isn't it? Joseph was a great and powerful man, admittedly, but he was also a real human being with real human emotions who could step out of the corridors of power and have the strength to weep his heart out, end of quote. Sincere, transparent, vulnerable emotion before God. And there's our man, Joseph, a portrait of grace and forgiveness. Finally today, I, I want us to look at 31 through 34 and just look at it, what I've called a sweet reunion. Uh, verse 31, he he takes a deep breath. I'm sure he has a towel over there with water and he washes his face. He's, he's incognito, remember? He's the, the big bad Egyptian prime minister of Egypt and, and he's, he's gonna keep this up until he can't keep it up any longer, all right? Because he, he's about to get really real. He's about to unveil and be as transparent as you can ever imagine, but it's, it's continuing, the story is continuing. 
Verse 32 is interesting to me. They had racism back then. Isn't that wild? Had racism back then. Egyptians, y'all are superior. You sit over here. You lowly Hebrews, you sit over here. And Joseph, we don't really know about you. We don't know what to make of you. You're just the boss. You sit wherever you want. But the Bible says the Egyptians would not sit with the Hebrews. Reminds me of still the race, the tension that's going on in our country. Last week, I, I asked you, I, I pled with you, would you go out and would you do a deed of kindness to someone of a different color, a different creed, a background, nationality? Would you, if you saw a police officer, would you reach out to them and love them? I just want you to know I did both. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. I was able to do all the above and I loved every moment of it. I hadn't planned on saying this. Would y'all let me share a story with you that I hadn't planned on saying, and you don't judge me? Is that okay? Say, yeah, right, buddy. <laughs> I am a professional judger, so be careful. So I met one of our church members for coffee yesterday over here at Starbucks. You. Had a great conversation, and Chris, you'll, you'll testify, you'll witness me. Doreen, are you here? Would you just stand up for a minute? Let me, let me just, I'll take a look at this later. Stand up, stand up. This is Doreen. Y'all say hey. Hey, Doreen. God bless you. So I'm, I'm there at Starbucks, and, uh, and Chris and I, we're, we're, we've had a great time. We've met. We've prayed. We're happy. We got a plan. We're about to go leave Starbucks. And Doreen, she goes, I hear this voice. Pastor, I don't know many pastors in Starbucks, all right? So I turn around and it's her. And she's got this big old smile on her face. And she walks up to me and she hugs me. There's a group of African-American guys, about five of them sitting right here. I don't know if you know this or not. And they're all looking. And here's this old white-haired white guy over here hugging this sweet black lady. And, and people are just watching us. And then she said these words. Can I say these words? She said, you're the, you're the best pastor in the universe. That's what she told me, right, right there. It says Starbucks. Now, I know it's in thing. She's mistaken. That's just not true. And I, and I, I get that. I get that. I'm not. But bless your soul. I, I just love you. I thank you. I got calls this week. I had deacons calling me, Brother Aaron. They're saying, Pastor, you challenged us? Let me tell you what I did this week. Man, I'm just, I'm just overjoyed hearing the stories of you who reached out to others of a different color or creed or nationality or, or police officer. And by the way, I'm talking about the police and I've got a little extra time today. This is fun. Woo, woo. How many police officers and sheriffs and is it okay to have them stand, Ken, do you think? Or should I not have them stand? Is it sure okay? Okay. Like, could y'all stand? If you're, a, if you're a man of the law or a lady of the law, would y'all stand? if you feel peace in standing. Okay, anybody? All right, hold on. One, two, three. All right. Appreciate you guys. Amen. Where, where, and we got some others. They're just not here. Okay, I, I don't see Mike. He's, about eight feet tall, you're able to spot him. But there's others of those guys. And I love those guys, appreciate those guys. 
And I tried to go to my San Antonio Friday night. Ashley and I are down there with our daughter. Did I tell y'all my daughter got married? I'm okay with that. All right, did I tell y'all about that? Okay, good. We went and saw, <laughs> we went and saw her. It was fun. Two police officers there. And I just, I just loved on them, reached out to them. And they reciprocated. They were blessed. And so I thought, man, God, help us. Help us do these little things. May they be have this exponential, cumulative impact as we just love people, bless people, encourage people. And I'm learning this from Joseph. I'm watching him. He's, he's kind and he's gracious and he's forgiving. And Okay, so watch, watch this, what happens in verse 33. This is one of the coolest things in the Bible. Y'all ready for this? Okay, so they have the brothers sit before Joseph. Reuben to the oldest is sat all the way down to Benjamin, the youngest. And when the Bible says in verse 33 that the men looked in astonishment at one another, wouldn't you? No, 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 listen. The Egyptians look at the brothers and say, you, come here, you sit here. Okay, you, come, come here. You sit right here. All the way from Reuben to the oldest to Benjamin to the youngest. And they're going, oh my word, this is spooky, spooky. How in the world? Did they know that I was older than him and that he was older than him? How, and y'all know what the odds of that is? I'm gonna tell you what the odds are. Take all 11 numbers and multiply them together. It's 39 million, I think 950,000. It's one in 40 million that you would get that right the first time. Thank you, Dr. Morris, Henry Morris, PhD, University of Minnesota. Civil engineer, director at Virginia Tech University, president of Christian Research Institute. He said, he did the math. One in 40 million that you would get every person in their birth order all the way down to Benjamin. These guys are like, what is going on? I mean, they're astonished. They are marveling. Would you marvel in a moment at the grace of God? Would you not just be astonished? I mean, my word, look at you. You're alive. You live in the greatest country in the known world. Listen, you live in the greatest state in the greatest country. I don't know what Swindoll was worried about coming to Texas. <laughs> you drive a car? One billion people live on a dollar a day. One billion people in the world live on a dollar 25 cents a day. How many of y'all make more than a dollar a day? Even you poor college students say, well, yeah, they, they pay me minimum wage. That's more than a dollar a day. You drove a car or you took a bus. You ate breakfast. You're about to go eat a bunch more. You're going to go home in your nice bed. Why would God be so good to you? Why would God do that? Why didn't, like, why didn't God let you be born in India? I'm, I'm about to go to South America and I'm about to go to a poor country and I'm like, why didn't you let me be born here, God? I had a guy tell me, well, it's just luck. No, it's not. It's God's grace. Now watch this. To whom? 
Much is given. Very much is required. If God has been so gracious and kind to you, how in the world could you harbor bitterness toward another brother? If God has been that kind and loving and just monumentally blessing your life, how in the world could you not say, whoa, time out. Let me just do one of those moments. Just, let me just slap my face here and just wake up. You know, the enemy is so crafty. He, he whispers in our ears. He, he wants us to feel offended. He wants us to get our feelings hurt. This church disappointed me. I'm just waiting till you disappoint me. This Wi-Fi marriage, she's pitiful. I'm just going to turn her in for a new one later on. And we, this is how we just live with this enemy whispering on us. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we get right with God, if Jesus Christ becomes our all in all, and we are sold out for the kingdom of God, and we take this American life, and all of its wealth, and all of its blessings, and all of its influence, and we say, God, I just give it away. Man, the world will be reached for Christ. But as long as the enemy can keep you with your feelings hurt, with your arms crossed and your angered brow, as long as he can keep you on the edge and just full of bitterness and full of anger and rancor and wrath, and just as long as he can keep you there, you are useless for the kingdom of God. I'm praying the spirit of God would just say, get off of that ledge. Get off of that ledge of being angry. Get off of that ledge of just retribution. Get off of that ledge of punishment and wrath and anger and fierceness and just get on. Woo! Just get on out here where it's free and you can move around and you can be happy and you can forgive and you can have joy and you can have mercy. You can have compassion. You can, you can say, God, this is my life. And Lord, I give it, let me tell you something, guys. It is free. It is freeing to just be experiencing God's grace and then extend that grace to others. Man, I'm tired. I don't catch my breath. <laughs> what has God said today? Has he said anything to you today? This story preserved for all time and eternity for such a time as this so that your life could interface with Joseph's and Joseph could demonstrate to you how to be sincere, how to be transparent, how to be kind, how to be forgiving. Look, look at this. Y'all are like, yeah, Benjamin was the beneficiary. No, you missed it. Benjamin was one of the beneficiaries. He fed all those brothers. He said, well, Benjamin got five. Well, okay, he did. <laughs> Benjamin got more. Joseph's life, like, I'm just sorry, he's just going to get more, okay? He just, he just, he's just, he's going to get more. Every brother that sold him into slavery and wanted to kill him is forgiven. Forgiven. You know why? Because Joseph reasoned in his heart, God has been so gracious to me, and life is too short to be full of bitterness and unforgiveness. May the Spirit of God set you free today. For some, <sighs> the transformation needs to happen. When all that intellect and all that knowledge and Bible school, when it comes into your heart, 
and you are born again by the Spirit of God. No longer religion, no longer church attendance is, is, is getting you to heaven. No, it's just Jesus. And, and you're transformed by the grace. And as my friend Kyle Miller says it, the gospel grace of Jesus Christ. I love that. The gospel-based grace of God. Just forgiven you. And then, then the rest of us, I mean, we're saved, we're forgiven. Man, we're on our way to glory. <clears throat> you stepped on my toes today, Pastor. You made me, made me think about something, you know, about missions, about hungry people, and I've, I've just kind of messed me up. Good, 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 I'm glad. Glory to God, you got messed up a little bit. I ain't it good to go to church and get messed up a little bit? I, we want to go to church and just say, why? Everything is lovely, everything is fine. The world's dying and going to hell. It's not fine. And so mess us up, God. Change our hearts a little bit. But here's the deal. Forgive. Forgiveness. Say, I forgive you. You hurt me, you tried to kill me, you divorced me, you raped me. Somehow, by the power of God, I forgive you. If you can get to that point, and God can get you to that point, oh my word, what liberty, what, what joy. Thank you all for letting me share a hard message with you, but it's a good message. Can, can we just have an invitation right now? Some of y'all are like, I thought you'd never get to that part. This is the invitation. Yes. Look, some of you couldn't wait to give this part because you're ready to do business with God. Others are ready to do business with Lubies or Chewies. You, you know what I'm saying? You, that's the business you're interested in. But no, some of you want to do business with God. Your, your heart. You know what, Pastor James, people's hearts. Some of them are being touched by the Spirit of God. And you don't really know what to do about that. You don't know what to make of that. How do, how do I figure this out? How do I, what do I do? You, you just do like Joseph. Just be vulnerable. Just be open. Weep if you need to weep. Come to this altar if you need to come to this altar. And listen, we'll have invitation. We'll introduce some new members. And you can go. But if you want to stay at the altar, stay at the altar. And last week we were walking by. and Oh, mercy. And it was about one o'clock. I was trying to, I was getting back this way, get to my car. And I looked in the sanctuary and I was like, did they not know they can go home? And there's all these people, all these people talking, all these people laughing. I said, God, you're shining upon your church. It's a sweet day when you don't want to leave. You, you know what I'm saying? Some of you like, well, I don't have that problem. I'm hungry. Please hurry up. No, 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 no. I get you. I get you. But I know the other people too. They, they're just so, and it's a lot of times it's your young people. Some of y'all got the spiritual gift of hanging out. You know what I'm saying? You just like to hang out, and I love that. So, Lord, I'm just asking you to do whatever you want to do in this invitation, in this church, in my life. God, may we be a, a grace-based people. And Lord, it starts with me. It starts with us. And Lord, there are some who've been offended so violently, so egregiously. It would take an actual miracle of God for them to forgive. But God, last I checked, you are the God who created the world. The God 
that rose from the dead. The God who wrote a book called the Bible, the God that can do miracles. Lord, would you help him? God, help her in this moment to do what Joseph did, to be a portrait of grace. Mercy and forgiveness. Lord, I think the song is talking about coming to the altar. The altar of God is open. The fountain of the grace of God is flowing freely at Great Hills, the radiant church, and, it's, and it wants to engulf us all. It, it wants to cleanse us and wash us all. God, may we take advantage of it. May we, God, just all of us in unison, Lord, may we just do business with you. And for some, Lord, to genuinely be saved, be born again by the Spirit of God, you know who you are. But others of us, Lord, just to be transformed from grace unto grace, forgiveness unto forgiveness. And I'm praying this in Jesus' name.